Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our pool campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. I just felt this morning as we were praying, I don't really have many notes today because I was going to be doing my prep on Friday, but then that got kind of blindsided with all the kind of venue changes. Um, But I've got some thoughts that I do want to share. But I was just challenged in the prayer meeting this morning, the pre-service prayer meeting, that in times like this, we don't necessarily know what is going on and what is unfolding. And we can kind of question, Lord, what is your will in this? And, you know, today, um, I'm not going to stand here and pretend I know what the will of God is in the spread of this virus and what the future holds and all this. But I can be sure of this. This is what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Check this out. Be joyful always. Be joyful always. Come on. Yeah. I liked it. Hannah, you're a faithful. Yeah, she's yeah, she the only one. Yeah. No one was like, really? Don't feel like being joyful. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I can't profess to know today what the will of God is in the world right now with this virus. But I can tell you the truth of God's will for your life. What is God's will for your future? And it's this. Be joyful be thankful, be prayerful, okay? That's what's going to mark us in this season. It's a thing that almost becomes a testimony and a witness to the world around us that as they're, as they're living in fear, we're growing in faith. As they're cowering in corners, we're kind of getting more and more bold. In fact, the Word of God declares, uh, you may have read the blog that I put out in the week about um, the Bible verses that I put on my, bed, my son's bedside wall, and one of them, I just love it. It says this, the wicked run or the wicked flee In other words, those who don't know God run when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. The godly are as bold as lions. Turn to your neighbor, don't touch them, but go like that. Come on. Come on. Maybe we'll do lion and the lamb later. We're lions, right? We're lions. So good. So good. Hey, let me just finish that text for you because I don't like it when people start a text but don't finish it. So let me finish this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Okay? I believe to fear things other than God. I don't think that's a godly thing, okay? So put it behind you. Remove it from your vision. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. In other words, may you become more like God. May you become more holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. I've done some teaching recently on these three dimensions of the human being. Spirit, soul, and body be kept faultless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then I love this promise. Are you ready for this? The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. He will do it. In the book of Job, we read, no man can thwart the purposes of God. No virus can thwart the purposes of God. Nothing external to God can thwart the purposes of God. He will do it. He is faithful. What he has started, he will finish. He's not like me. He's not half job done. That's what Louise calls me at home. Half job done. You know, I start a job and then I get bored of it and I just wander onto something else. So she says, can you hang this picture? I'll get a hammer out. I'll mess up the wall with a nail, kind of fail miserably and walk away and go on to the next project. And so Louise says, stop being half job done. But God is not a half job God. He completes what he starts. Uh, Dan, can you go get me some tissue, please? I feel like I need to blow my nose, but don't worry. I don't have anything. I just feel it right there. Okay. Come on. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Okay. Phil, thanks, pal. You can sit down. 
So uh, one of the great things in times like this is there's a, where do you go for inspiration? Instagram. Let me tell you the funniest things I've seen on Instagram this week, okay? Here's, here's one of the posts that I really liked. What if this coronavirus is just man flu and now women are realizing just how bad we've had it for years, right? This might not be very nice, by the way, so you might want to hold your ears. Does anyone else, when they blow... Oh, thanks, man. I wonder what that was you were giving me then. Okay, so what am I to do with this? Like, just write in there. Um, uh, wait, there. there is something in there. Okay, cool. If this is your first... Sorry, I was legitimately about to put it right there. That wasn't even a joke. I'm sorry. I'll put that in my pocket. Okay, let's move on. If this is your first time to Sunny Hill, you are most welcome. Oh. Right. What have we just said, guys? Bold as lions. When was the last time you saw a lion sanitizing their hands? I need to sanitize the bottle, right? Before I give it back to you. <laughs> Lord help us. Right, okay, let's move on. This is church, stop laughing. We're in scary times right now. Right. I like this one as well. Quarantine diary, okay? Day one, I have stocked up on enough non-perishable food and supplies to last me for months, maybe years, so that I can remain in isolation for as long as it takes to see out this pandemic, okay? Day one plus 45 minutes, I'm in the supermarket because I wanted a Twix. <laughs> that one cracked me up. This one, without doubt, is my favorite. Matt sent me this one. That's like, this one cracked me up. Are you ready? Right? In light of recent uh, panic buying, UK supermarkets have introduced purchase limits, okay? Have you heard of this? You've heard of the purchase limits, right? Asda, two hand sanitizers and 24 toilet rolls max, okay? Tesco, one hand sanitizer and 18 toilet rolls and two kilograms of rice, okay? Co-op... 12 rolls of toilet paper and one kilogram of rice. Aldi, two trumpets, one diving suit, <laughs> and a MIG welder. That is a good one, man. I love that. I love that. Aldi, the most random shop on earth, where you go to buy a Gatto, and it's right next to a pair of Wellingtons. You're like, I don't know who was thinking up the floor plan for that shop when they made it. I mean, I like the prices, but it stresses me out shopping there, because it takes me about an hour to find anything I want. Um, but hey... Let's get into the Word of God. It's so good to see you this morning. And, um, you know, I, I really felt provoked uh, before kind of we knew what position we would be in right now to really spend a few weeks just talking about the goodness of God and Jesus in particular. Um, you know, at, at Sunny Hill, we take quite seriously behaviors in the church. And so constantly we, we try to just uh, equip you guys to smash it in your Christian walk. And, to, and often we kind of talk about behavior-related things. And that's really good and has its place. And I just thought, let's just, instead of doing that, let's just talk about Jesus. Let's just glorify Jesus together as a church because uh, Jesus is the one who can change everything. And, and like even this morning, maybe you've come to church and there's a sense of dead-endness in your life. I've kind of uh, subtitled this message, Encountering Jesus in the Dead Ends of Life. Maybe there seems to be like just no way forward as far as you can see. And I'm talking beyond the coronavirus now. Maybe a relational difficulty. Maybe it's just a blockage in your walk with God. Maybe, uh, maybe your marriage, maybe your workplace. Maybe you just feel like you are in a cul-de-sac in life. Because sometimes you get to cul-de-sacs, places where you, you're not sure how to progress and you're not sure how to move forward. Well, well, well I guess today I really want to just affirm to you that Jesus is the way maker. I want to affirm that to you. 
I want to affirm that, that Jesus doesn't get bamboozled when you hit a dead end. That Jesus doesn't go, oh my gosh, like we weren't expecting this. Just as Richard said, God is not surprised by the things that play out in our life. Jesus is the way maker. And, and I was really stuck with the text. I've been stuck with this text for about four weeks now. And uh, it's one that I'm sure I've preached at Sunny Hill before. Uh, but I just want to kind of open it again. So Isaiah 43 and it's an interesting one because, you, you know, if you know Jesus and you've been in church a little while, you'll say, well, you're going to Isaiah, I thought we we're going to look at Jesus. And, and we will get there. But ultimately, the whole of Scripture, even the Bible passages that we read before Jesus came, all speak to the coming Messiah, all speaks to this coming Savior, this coming Jesus. And, and we read this in Isaiah 43, verse 18. Okay? The prophet Isaiah speaking to uh, the people of God, and hopefully the, the Bible in the sky will have it on behind me. It says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And I, I kind of love that instruction because this isn't Isaiah speaking. This is God speaking through Isaiah. That there is this invitation. In fact, there's this instruction that God is saying, listen, forget the former things. Forget the past. And I even like that wording. It, it kind of sounds almost quite familiar and common. Do not live in the past. Do not live on the past. Don't dwell on the past. Some people get stuck in their life because they are, they are restricted and limited by a previous thing that happened by a memory. We, we, we're kind of living and smashing something that we're unexpecting, a curveball or something blindsides us and, and hits us for seven in this life. And we're almost, we're almost stopped in our tracks. But, but we read this, for the former things do not dwell on the past. And of course, if we look at the context of the moment, God is speaking to the people uh, Israel. But ultimately, this word extends to the church and extends to you and extends to me. I, I believe that God wants us as believers to be a people who are forgetful about things in the past. It, it's kind of interesting because we read, if you look in the two verses beforehand, check out the context, right? Because normally when we read this, we think, surely God's talking about the bad things, right? But check out what it says. This is what the Lord says, verse 16. He who made a way through the sea... A path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Like, it's hard to kind of communicate the gravitas of, I, I think, this passage. God is reminding his people through Isaiah. Do you remember that awesome thing I did? Do you remember when, when you hit a body of water and it was a dead end? Do you remember when Moses and the Israelites, they had left Egypt and slavery at my word and kind of entered and were heading towards the promised land and they hit a body of water. There was a body of water that was restricting them and limiting them. There was a cul-de-sac in their life. And then what I did is I made a way. In fact, that's what he says. He says, he who made a way through the waters, right? It's the kind of story that would have been passed down from generation to generation. It's the kind of thing that you would sit down with your kids and your grandkids and say, hey, do you remember that time? You know, when our forefather Moses and the Israelites were in this crisis point as the people of God. And it seemed like God had abandoned them. But yet God gave a word to Moses and he put his staff into the water, his stick into the water. And the seas just parted like this phenomenal moment where God had made a way. And, and, and like, I'm just picturing as, as people are listening to us, oh, that was awesome, that was. And then Isaiah says, forget it. <laughs> forget the former things. Do not live in the past. 
So there's this provocation not just to forget the bad stuff, but also to hold good stuff lightly as well. Like I was thinking, what's the enemy to the next great thing? It's actually the last good thing. What's the enemy to the next great thing that God wants to do in your life? Well, potentially it can be the last good thing he did in your life. Because as people, our nature and our tendency and our inclination is to strive to set up camps and dwelling places where we can live and fester in that moment. But the truth is God is a God who moves constantly. God doesn't live in yesterday. He may have been there and you may have seen amazing things. And I'm not saying that we don't continue to celebrate and thank God for that. But we have to learn to see the past in a God-honoring way. To not look back at it as though it was something sacred when it wasn't. Really, whatever expression and whatever's going on in our life, simply it's a wineskin. So even now, let's just say that we're coming into a new season where things have to change in church. Who knows? I'm not saying that's the case. But who knows? Our inclination as people will be to talk like this. Do you remember when? Do you remember when? Do, and we had it when we moved to Magna. Do you remember when we were in Parkstone? I remember falling out with a couple because they love the building of Parkstone. And they said, why can't we just go back there? And I said, well, we pray there every week. Come to the prayer meeting and then you can see it. Why not? And now the truth is, even today, do you remember when we were in Magna last week? Do you remember that profound service in the second service? And it feels just different today. Listen, don't dwell on the past. Don't live in the past. God is doing a new things, but he is a way maker. It's who he is. In fact, I love what he goes on to say. After he says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Listen to what God says through Isaiah. See, see, speaking of vision, see I'm doing a new thing. I wonder if you've got the faith to believe that What's going on right now is a new thing. Like I was, I was reading this week, um, working through the book of Acts at the moment, and I was reading about this persecution that came when the church was gathered, and it forced them into a scattering. And, and they didn't go, oh, do you remember when we could have those massive meetings all together? But actually, through this persecution, God was driving the gospel beyond Jerusalem. And I'm not saying the same is happening now, but does our faith allow for us to go, God, I can see you in this thing. God, I believe you're still moving in this thing because I don't believe you're a God of dead ends. I don't believe you're a God of cul-de-sacs. I believe you're a God of highways. I believe you're a God who makes a way where there is no way. And so Isaiah challenges people, look, see, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You've got to see it. I think often too many believers only live with physical sight, not spiritual vision. It is different. It is different. A number of places in the Bible, I won't go in there now just for time's sake, you'll see where God gives a supernatural vision to a person. And other people look at this person who's responding to this supernatural vision and go, this person's nuts. But actually, they're operating by a greater reality. As human beings, we're kind of fixated on the physical, the things we can touch and see. And so we become restricted by the limitation of our physical sight. When actually, as believers and followers of Christ, we're called to have eyes of faith. We're called to have eyes that, are, that, that see what God is doing supernaturally. And so all of a sudden, it's not to say that this music stand isn't real, but there's something even more real than this music stand that's right in front of me. You see, my body engages with this object, and I can touch it, but I have a spirit that engages with something much greater. In fact, Paul talks about this. He talks about this in a few places in the New Testament. This, this grappling, this wrestling between the flesh and the spirit. 
Because so often we live according to the limitation of our flesh. We live according to the limitation of our body, the things we can see and touch. But yet faith calls us to not live by sight. So, so even now in this season, people may present all kind of data and research and say, oh, you know, do this, 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 and this. And if we don't close schools and if we keep businesses open, then by, you know, 2025, we'll all be wiped off the face of the earth, okay? Can we as a church go, actually, I see God doing a new thing? In fact, the, the Isaiah says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Like, right now, it's even beginning to emerge. And are you still dull to it? Like, you know, I've been working in this way for weeks, months, maybe years, God's saying. But now it's springing up and you're still not perceiving it. Then he says again, I am making a way. Everyone say, making a way. Making a way. I am making a way in the desert and streams in the where? In the wasteland. I mean, you may be cleverer than me, and so I'm sure you've seen this before, but something I saw for the first time was this. The paradox of these two examples. The one place where Moses hits a body of water, and God has to make a path through the waters. And then God says, forget the former things, because now what I want to do is I want to bring waters through the dry places. Do you get what I'm saying? That actually, if we live with the restriction and limitation of what God has done, we're going to miss the way he's going to want to move going forwards. And I, I think so often in church, we, we're not overly innovative or creative. Not so much Sunny Hill because we're an innovative church, but so often we just go around the block over and over and over again. And, you know, we're going, God, God just, 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 just part the waters. And God's probably going, what waters? <laughs> There's a desert right now. We need to bring waters through the desert. See, if we, if we can't see the new thing that God's doing, then we're going to end up at a dead end that God doesn't want us to stop at. Because the people of God are called to advance and to progress no matter what the circumstances or the situation. Let me affirm that persecution can't even stop this thing. And when I say this thing, I'm talking about the expansion of the kingdom of God and the growth of his church. When, when Jesus says, I'll build my church, I actually believe he meant it. I don't believe it was just one of those motivational team talks. Oh, guys, I'm going to build it. Don't get bummed out. It was actually a promise that he was giving to the early church when they were looking around and going, man, there's only a few of us. <laughs> you know, there's millions of people here and everyone hates us. Well, all the religious leaders, all the key influencers hate us. All the social medias are always trolling us. I mean, it's crazy, Lord. Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to build it. And the gates of hell, the gate of hell, it's not going to overcome it. I just even love that picture. I know I've spoken about that before, that the gates of hell. Picture that. Try and understand what Jesus is saying there. This is Matthew 16, by the way. Try and imagine what Jesus is saying. The gates of hell will not overcome it or will not withstand it. Like, gates are a defensive thing, not an attacking thing. So understand what Jesus is saying. The gates of hell. It's not that hell is bringing its gates towards us. It's not like, you know, you're going to war. Send the gates. <laughs> Send the gates. You know, war's breaking out. Don't read the gun. Send the gates. You know, put the, put the picket fence up. Block us in. Build a hedge. Plant some seeds. Plant a hedge. Hedge of protection and all that. Now, he says the gates of hell will not withstand the force of the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom is the thing that is advancing. The kingdom is the thing that is expanding. The kingdom is the thing that is growing. And even right now, you might say, well, you don't feel like it. Even though I don't feel it, you're working. 
Either we believe it or we don't. Even though I don't see it, you're working. The truth is, if we can get eyes of vision like that, I don't know how many are in the room, let's say 100, maybe 100 plus with the kids out there, like we've already got a better start than the early church when Jesus spoke those words. If we're willing to believe that God is a way maker, if we're willing to believe that he is doing a new thing, amen? Okay, so we've got eight minutes left because I want to end with something a bit different. Is anything following that video or not? Is that you? Okay, he just put his hand up. I didn't know if he was saying, that's me, or I need the toilet. Can I go, please? And that's okay as well, also. Uh, turn to John 11. Because the thing I want us to understand today is I want us to lift this above um, our circumstances. I want us to get a vision greater than the personal breakthrough we're looking for today. Okay? So I want us to get an understanding. When I'm talking about God has made a way... What way am I talking about? This is really important because ultimately what I'm talking about is the cross. 2,000 years ago, hell was the cul-de-sac. 2,000 years ago, principalities and powers and the the prince of darkness, the devil, Satan, uh, was having the last word. 2,000 years ago, we know that God sent his one and only son. That whoever put their belief and faith in him would not perish, would not follow that avenue, but would go on to have eternal life, okay? And, and so I kind of want us to understand that when I'm talking about making a way, for sure he can make a way in your circumstances, I believe in that. But actually it's underwritten by a greater way that's already been made. So even when you're believing in faith for your personal breakthrough, do it in the context of this breakthrough, okay? So uh, John 11 38. Uh, Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb or grave. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now, let me just give you a bit of context. One of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, had died, okay? Someone who Jesus was close with. In fact, when Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, were kind of undone by the emotion of this, they sent word to Jesus, and this was the word, the one you love is dead. The one you love is dead, okay? Jesus kind of responds, maybe not as hastily as they would like. And so he starts kind of moving towards the place where this tomb was, where he had died. And when he gets there, we read, it's not going to be on the screen, we read this um, in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, speaking of Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And I'm just imagining at that point, this just overwhelming sense of emotion. Jesus, come and see it. This is our brother. He has died. Like your friend, this one you love, he has died. Come and see it. And then we read the the shortest verse in scripture, Jesus wept. It's an interesting insight. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. For sure, we know Jesus is divine. He's God himself. But in this moment, we see the humanity of Christ as well. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? I believe he wept or wept because of the, of the community who were wepting. <laughs> Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew what looked like a dead end to the flesh was actually a gateway to the spirit. And so he didn't weep because he thought, oh my gosh, he's dead. What are we going to do? Oh my gosh, he's dead. Oh, maybe death is going to win. 
Oh my gosh, he's dead. I should have got here sooner so that I could. It's much easier to pray for a sick person than a dead person, right? No, Jesus wept. Why? Because he saw the effect of the circumstances on the sisters of Lazarus. He entered into the grief of the moment. I I thank God that I worship a Savior who is all-powerful, but he's all-humble. He can identify in your brokenness. He can identify in your weakness. In fact, it's Hebrews, isn't it? It says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. He was tempted in every way. Hardship, struggle, suffering, challenge. He went through it and he came through it. And in this moment with uh, Mary and Martha, there's this sense that like he understands if you've lost anyone, he understands the pain you're feeling. If you're grieving a loss of someone you haven't had or seen, child or maybe an opportunity, Jesus can enter into that situation and weeps with you. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't bring an answer first. Sometimes as Christians, we try to bring a solution. Keep your eyes on God. God makes all things work together. It's a nice sentiment, and it's truth, obviously. But sometimes when you're kind of diagnosed with maybe a terminal illness, you feel rough. And Jesus comes into that brokenness with you, and he's able to lift your head. Again, to a greater reality and so in verse 38 we read this Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance take away the stone he said but Lord said Martha the sister of the dead man by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days like Lord if I move that tomb it is gonna stink Literally, it's going to stink. His decaying and rotting flesh is going to like, just come out. It's going to leave the grave, and it's going to be horrendous. And I, and I just wonder like, how many of us keep things hidden from Christ that stink. I mean, it's not really my preaching point, but maybe there's stuff that you're aware of that you just try to keep hidden from Jesus. Maybe roll a big stone in front of because, Jesus, you, you know, you want me on a Sunday, but when you see me in this, it's messy. Jesus says, move the stone. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Check this out. Then Jesus looked up and said, and I spoke about this at the Dream Builders prayer meeting briefly. Father, I thank you. Thank you for what? Your friend's dead. Father, I thank you. I love the first song we sing, Hands High. I just love singing it today. The declaration of faith. My response will always be to praise. No matter what comes. Some people hate new songs like that because they don't think they're very deep. Well, if we could just grasp the basic concept of what they're saying, maybe we could move on to some deeper stuff. But my response when hardship comes is always to praise. Praise meaning to give thanks. My posture, Lord, is to praise. In fact, I was imagining that like in the coming weeks where maybe we start streaming services and stuff and people in isolation with a nasty cough just singing that song on stream. I've never felt so good. (laughs) Oh, just me. All right, that's awkward. I was picturing that. I thought that's funny. So anyways, they take away the stone. Jesus said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. Wow. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He hadn't prayed anything at this point. But Jesus has got eyes of faith. To see the new thing. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The dead men came out. 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Picture that. Lazarus coming out mummified. That's what the Bible says. Like, we get this kind of picture of this glorious risen body, like with the, the, the brightness of Christ just radiating from him. Like, ah, oh, thanks, guys. That was a nightmare in there. You know, not that he probably would have spoken like that. That was, oh, what a nasty four days that was. But Lazarus has just come out, and I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> because he's mummified, right? He's been wrapped up, and he's been embalmed, and all that kind of stuff. He's in a grave, and so he's coming out to something, and then Jesus says, look... Untie his hands and feet, like, get it all off. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, I've, I've got to kind of land this plane now. But ultimately, the truth is this, is that Jesus was speaking this instruction on the basis of what Jesus would do. Jesus, I don't know how, was able to call into reality this resurrection life in light of the death that Jesus would ultimately pay. It's kind of interesting. You can see it a little bit earlier in verse um, 23. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. This is before it happens. Mother answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Wow. So, so he's, he's not just speaking of a physical resurrection. Like the goal of this passage, although we can use it in this way, isn't to pray for dead people to be raised to life, although we can do that and we should do that. The goal of this passage is for us to understand what resurrection life looks like. That actually there's a new dimension and reality that now extends to everybody who has put their confidence in Jesus Christ. That you, you may not even know, if you don't know Jesus this morning, then you are Lazarus in the story. You might feel like you're Jesus, the one who comes and fixes the problem. But you're not. You're Lazarus. You're bound. You're restricted. You're in grave clothes. But at the word of Jesus over your life, he can pronounce freedom and resurrection. And, and it's not so much that you uh, are dead necessarily physically. Well, of course you're not. If you're here today, that would be awkward. Someone just wheeled someone in. But ultimately, all of us are dead spiritually until we give our life to Christ. And as soon as we put our confidence in his death and his resurrection, we then partake in his resurrection life. I love it. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then Jesus says, do you believe this? I want to ask you the same thing. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Put your hand up if you believe it. Okay, great. Because if you believe it, it should enforce the way you live it. If you believe it, then it should change everything. It's impossible to partake in the resurrection life and to go on living with your eyes at ground zero. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. The other day, um, this is a sad moment for me because this is the first instance where I no longer preach about my kids but tell a story about my dog. I am undone, Lord, in your presence. What has happened, Lord? I repent. So for those of you, I don't really like dogs, and somehow my wife managed to blindside me and get a dog, and it is what it is, and I kind of like him. I'm not going to lie. He's kind of funny. He's kind of cute. There's loads of things I would change, like I wish he could use the toilet and wipe his bum and flush the, you know, but it's just not where he's at just yet, although I'm working on that. 
Um, and it's kind of handy next to the toilet because if he misses, you can just drown him in there. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Louise isn't here at first service, so it's okay. Um, the other day, we were leaving the house in a hurry because we had to go somewhere. Like, and we we're going to be out most of the day. And we got in the car and we started heading. It might have been to here for a team meeting or something. We we're coming here. And I said to Louise, I said, did you lock the dog in the cage? At the moment, he's a puppy, so we have to put him in a crate. And it's not cruel. It's the best way to teach him to kind of not poo in the house, basically. And you lock him in, and then he'll learn not to do any business in there because that's where he sleeps. All of that kind of stuff. And... Um, I said, uh, I said to Louise, I said, did you lock the crate? And she says, no, I didn't lock the crate. And I was like, oh, gosh. And she says, well, didn't you do it? I said, no. And then Zeke says, I did it. <laughs> Zeke's my three-year-old boy, right? And I know the lock isn't easy to lock, right? So I knew that what he meant is he just simply shut the door. He hadn't locked it, right? So we were maybe away from home for like five hours. And we were thinking, when we get back... Who knows what the house is going to be like? We're picturing poo smeared on the floors. I'm telling you, we're picturing the bottom of our sofas chewed to death. We're, we're, we're picturing just carnage cupboard doors open because this dog likes food and he can find it. He's one of those noses that are quite good on dogs. And, um, you know, we were just didn't know what we were expecting. And anyways, Louise got back before me anyways about five hours later. And we just thought, well, we can't really worry about it. There's not a lot we can do. It's just going to be carnage and mayhem. And she gets home, and she texts back, and she says, it's not locked, but he's still in his cage. Yeah, and it's a win, and it's cute, I guess. But the door was open, but he stayed in the cage. You understand what I'm saying here, right? The grave is open, but some of us still live in the grave. The tombstone's been rolled away, but we're still living with a grave mentality. How many of us are living in cages that don't have doors? When Jesus came, and I have got a land now. When Jesus came, the whole point was this. Is that whatever was restricting you from knowing him fully. Whatever was limiting you from knowing the goodness and blessing of God on your life. Whatever was restricting and limiting you from entering into an eternal walk with your creator was removed when Jesus died on the cross. A way was made. So even in Isaiah where it says, see, I'm doing a new thing. You know, me and Phil were talking about this in the week. Obviously, that bears relevance to the immediacy of the prophetic word. But I also believe that there's a much greater promise coming, which was this. I'm doing a new thing. You thought the, you thought the parting of the sea was good? You wait till I send my son. You thought a highway through the wet places was a miracle? You wait to see what Jesus can do on the cross of Calvary. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you and provoke you to go, come on. Jesus is standing before you. The tombstone is rolled away. Take off the grave clothes. Enter into a new dimension. Enter into a new reality. Let's close our eyes together for a moment. Maybe this morning you, you've come to church, and um, I think I know most of you, but if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you in this moment to say, I want to. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to know this new way that God has made for me to know true blessing, to know true healing, to know true breakthrough, to know that new way that has been made in Christ. 
If that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand where you are. There's no pressure. But I do just want to pray uh, a prayer of salvation with you, and we'll do it together. So you don't have to feel awkward or anything like that. That's fine. But if you want to know Jesus today, and you never made that commitment, I want to say, come on, do it today. The gravestone has been moved, and you can know him fully. Okay? I want to count to three. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to do that. One. Two, three. Okay, cool. Now here's the next challenge I want to put before you. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a little while or even for a few years. And maybe you came out the grave for a few months or for a few years. But maybe you found yourself back in there again, in the place of despair, hopelessness, and death. Fear, anxiety, worry, those things. This morning you feel the Holy Spirit to provoke you to say, come on, it's time to leave the grave. It's not to do with your salvation. You're saved. Jesus loves you. That's settled. It's now about living. It's now about living in light of the resurrection life available in Christ. And if that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to do, I want you to be brave and to say, Jesus, I want to come out. I want to come out of that grave. I want to come out of that place of restriction. I want to come out of that dead end. Praise God. Praise God. Come on. So good. Cool. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray now. Thank you for raising your hands. I think that's a really symbolic, like, symbolic thing you've done. You're, you're saying, God, that's me. And you're overcoming pride. And you're overcoming stubbornness and, uh, stubbornness and that often propensity to kind of miss these moments because we don't know whether people are looking or not. And you've said, God, I want that. And I believe that God's going to bless that this morning. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. But I invite all of you to pray this prayer with me because I think it really matters today. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that Jesus made a way. That when he died on the cross... And he rose again. It meant that even though I die, I have been raised again to life. I call on your faithfulness and your goodness, on your grace. And in this time of death and despair, I choose to live and live to the full. Jesus, I thank you for your death and your life. In Jesus' name, amen.